It's good to see you this morning. My name's uh, Sai. Hope you're well. And uh, in a bit, Anna will come up and share from God's Word as, as well. Do you know this morning that God loves you? I hope you know that this morning. He loves you. He cares for you. It says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. God is concerned with you. He wants to be close to you. He doesn't want to stand aloof. He doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be close to you because he loves you. you know, there was a friend of my, my family, a friend of my nan and granddad, and uh, she was the result of uh, uh, an American soldier during the war, the Second World War, and an English lady being too familiar uh, with each other. And, um, and, yeah, that, and, and, and she came along, and he had to go back to America before she was, she was, oh, before she was born. And um, she ended up actually uh, in an in a, in a orphanage for a while, and uh, my nan and granddad met her when she was a young lady, and they loved her, and they sort of welcomed her into the family and helped set her on, a, on the right path in, in life. And when she was a little bit older and a bit more secure in herself and who she was, they, uh, she wanted to go and find, find her dad and see if she could uh, meet him. And uh, so my nan and granddad were there and helped her research and find him and were there ready to pick her up when uh, and if she got rejected, as she expected to be uh, rejected by him, because why had he left? But to her surprise and her delight, she discovered that her dad, uh, he had to go back to America uh, because um, that's the army orders. And as soon as he'd finished his time in the army uh, and he was released, you know, sort of several months later, he came back to the UK to try and find uh, the, the lady and to find the, the child that he, he knew that she was uh, uh, pregnant with because he wanted to take care of them. He wanted to look after them. So he was absolutely delighted that she had tracked him down because he'd always wanted uh, to, to know this child and to, and to love this child. So she wonderfully got welcomed into his family, which was you know, part of her, her family, which is lovely. And this true story highlights the condition that we have all been born into in, relationship, in relation to God. We are separated from our Heavenly Father from the moment we're born. We're, we're born separated for him, yet because he loves us, because he loves you, because he loves me, he made a way through Jesus that we can be welcomed back into his family. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Today, how we're called to be the family of God. Jesus' culture is family-focused. Now, when I mention the word family, I don't know what comes to mind. It may be something like this. Our royal family may come to mind. So, you know, very sort of proper and, you know, sort of a, a formal, certainly the uh, appearance that we have always had up until recently, where they started to show themselves a bit more in relaxed settings. Or it may be the other royal family that we have, something like that may come to mind when you think of family. It may be slightly larger than that, they may be too small, so you might have that in mind when when I mention the word family, or it may be, as mine is, slightly more chaotic than that, and it might, that might come to mind as I mention the word uh, family. For some of you, it may actually bring up some painful uh, thoughts uh, as well, so just, just be aware of that, that God's original plan in family was not 
for it to be painful, for not for it to be separated or, or difficult. Actually, God loves you, and God is our perfect Father. So, just as, and we'll look at that today, and we'll look at what family life should be like, and what family life in the church should be like. So, we're going to look at four things today. I'm going to look at two of them, and uh, Anna's going to look at two of them. We're going to look at how the church is called to be family. We're going to look at how, as children of God, we're, gonna, we're called to grow into the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Thirdly, we're going to look at relating to each other as family. And then we're going to look at, uh, finally, just briefly, look at discipline within the family as well. Because that's part of family life in a fallen world. So, firstly, the church is family. You know, we serve a God who is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're three distinct persons, and yet it's not each person adds up together to make the sum total of God. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The fullness of deity dwells in Jesus bodily, we are told. The Holy Spirit is fully God, so much so that when the Spirit dwells in you, Jesus can say, oh, I and my Father have made our home in you, because the Spirit is fully God. Yet, there's not three gods, there's one God. This is something that we can't fully understand. It's a mystery, the mystery of the Trinity, but it's what the Bible clearly teaches, and that we have to accept by faith. It's no surprise, in a way, that the God of the universe, who made everything, is greater than we can fully understand as, as mere mortals here. God has et- et- eternally existed as Trinity, three in one, complete in himself, not lonely, not needing something, not bored, but out of love he made the universe and all that's in it. And the pinnacle of his creation, the crown of creation, was mankind that he made at the end. God made man in the image of God, male and female. He made them, reflecting something of the diversity in God himself. And God's plan through mankind was that he would have a relationship with them. Adam is referred to in the Bible as God's son, part of God's family. And he wanted Adam and Eve. He placed them in the garden and he wanted them to go and fill the whole earth and to rule over it as God's family representatives, reflecting God across creation so that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covered the deep. That's the, that's the, that was the intention of it. You know, interestingly, God didn't make billions of people. If that was his plan, why didn't he just make billions of people and then it would be done straight away? He could have done that, but he didn't because God wanted Adam and Eve to be involved in his plan and his purposes. My friends, the Bible tells us God has good works for each one of us to do. He has good works for you to do. And you get the joy and the privilege of working alongside God and fulfilling part of God's eternal purposes. He wants us involved. Anyway, back to the garden. So due to the problem of sin, Adam and Eve rebelling against God, they're cast out of the garden. They're separated 
from their heavenly father. And all mankind since that time has been born separated from God. Yet because God loves us, he had already had a plan in mind, a plan that was formed in eternity past. That's why in Revelations, John can say, the Lamb of God, referring to Jesus, who was slain before the foundation of the world. God already had his plan, and that plan unfolded through the person of Abraham and his, through Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, and he gave them the promised land to work out his plan and his purposes in. Israel's referred to as God's son in uh, many passages in the Bible. They were part of his family. They were supposed to be his family representing to the nations around. This is what it's like to live to God. This is who you need to come to know. This is how you need to come and live. But as you know, due to sin, due to their sin and rebellion, they ended up in exile and uh, uh, sent out of the promised land. But yet even in that, God and his sovereignty had a plan because he used that to them being dispersed amongst the nations so that the nations would learn something about Israel's God. So that when Jesus came, God's son, Jesus came and lived amongst us. He lived a life that fully pleased God. The only one to fully please God. He then chose to die on the cross taking on himself the punishment for the things that you and I have done that are wrong, to make a way for everyone to be able to get right with God, to be able to come back into God's family. He did that for us. And after his resurrection, he gave the disciples a great commission of going into all the world and making disciples, making followers of Jesus. You see, Whilst we're all saved individually, we're saved through putting our faith in Jesus. We're not saved uh, because we're born into a Christian family or because we think it's a nice, you know, because uh, someone else has done it on our behalf. You have to make that choice yourself to say, yes, Lord, I recognize I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. Please forgive me. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. We have to make that individual response. But once you've made that by yourself on, you know, as an individual, you're, you enter into a family, the family of God. God's family is the church. We're not a club. We're not a, an affiliation or an association. We're family together. The worldwide family, sometimes referred to as the church universal, consists of every single believer on the face of this planet uh, around us. But God also calls us to be, uh, in, to be in local expressions of his family too, in local churches. God has called us to be family here together at Christchurch. This is our local church family here. Jesus made it very clear when he said to his followers, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. My friends, this is the family of God here. Take a look around at people around you, weird and wonderful people around you, beautiful people, the weirdest ones standing at the front. But, uh, um, but yeah, you know, t- we're the family of God. Anyway, now I'm going to 
um, asked my, my wife, the more beautiful one, to come up here. And she's going to come and share, well, if we're the family of God, what should we be like? What should our family characteristics be like? And then how should we relate to each other? So I shall just pass over to her. Okay, so I'm going to um, be talking about being a family and what that looks like. Um, you know, Si and I are married, we have our own children, and uh, we have the challenge of trying to be a family that uh, represents uh, God's family. <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Because children don't do as they're told, and nor do we. So it's tricky. But uh, we're going to look um, how we should be a family that look like our Heavenly Father going to read Galatians 4, 4 to 7. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his, of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which is Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Isn't that an amazing truth that when we accept Jesus as our saviour, not only does he save us, but actually we become part of his family. We are adopted into his family. You don't have to earn it. You are automatically adopted into God's family. Um, in Romans 8, where actually it goes further and says, actually we have become co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that an amazing truth? that when you are saved, you become a son and an heir alongside Christ. You know, children resemble their parents um, as much as we want to not. We do, it's true, you do turn into your mother, it's starting to happen. I I've thought it never would, but I am turning into my mum. Um, there's a, one of our friends um, never knew his biological father and actually his father didn't even know that his mum had become pregnant. Um, when he had his own children, he became desperate to tell his father that he existed. I have to say that all of us that knew him said, please don't do it. We were really anxious about him doing it, but he really felt it was the right thing to do. So he um, hired a PI and they found um, his father. Do you know, when they started emailing each other and writing to each other, initially his father's wife had said, I will want a paternity test. And if the paternity test is positive, then you are welcome into our family. We love you. We want to know you if you're the son um, of this chap. But after a while of them emailing, the wife said, I don't need a paternity test. You are definitely, definitely his son. Do you know, they've never, ever met. They're both petrified of sharks, ridiculously so. We used to quite enjoy swimming under our friend and grabbing his legs in the sea. He'd scream like a girl. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> and we lived in Bournemouth as well, so clearly no sharks. But anyway, they're both petrified of sharks. They both love history, the same period of history they both really loved. They both loved cooking. They both looked 
so much like each other. And you can imagine if they both love cooking, what that was like. They, um, it was amazing that if you had seen these two men in a room, you would have picked them out. Of there is the father, there is the son. An amazing um, thing. You know, we should resemble our heavenly father. When people look at us, they should see that we love, love God. Can I ask you, do people identify you as being a, a son or a daughter of God? Do you practically live your life in your attitudes, your behaviours, your actions, like you are a child of God? Is it your identity or is it just something you add on to your life on the weekend? So what is our father like? Well, I'm really excited about the next slide because I've got Simon to do it and it, like, it's all in different directions. It's quite lovely. Um, so what is our father like? Our father is love. He's joy. He's peace. He's kindness. He's gentle. He's full of justice. He's compassionate. He's righteous. He's fair. He's merciful. He's abounding in grace. He's forgiving and he's faithful. That's not an exhaustive list, but it certainly is a challenging list of what God is like and how we should behave. You know, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. In 1 John 5, 1 to 3, we're reminded of this again. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves, who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. These verses, they remind us that actually... As children of God, we're to honour our Father in our behaviours, in the things that we do, in our attitudes. In 1 Peter 2, we're reminded that actually we are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. We're called to be holy like our Father. We are called to be set apart. You know, um, it's an amazing thing to be the son or daughter of God, but it requires from us that choice of being holy. You are a spiritual brick. <laughs> Have fun. You're a spiritual brick if you are in the um, house of God. If you are a believer here, you are part of that spiritual house. We need to strive for holiness individually and as a family together. When we sin, it doesn't just affect us. You know, when I sin, I bring my sin into this family of God. We can see this in Joshua 7, when Achan, who was just one person in the whole of Israel, he stole something that God had told them not to. It actually looks like quite a little sin. It's not like a massive sin. It just took something. It was something from an enemy. So technically, they could have taken it, but God had said, you're not to take it. And Israel lost the battle because of that one person's sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, we're told, do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole lump? We need to be people who personally strive 
for holiness. We need to desire it. We need to long for it. We need to stop setting our standards at mediocre. It's no good pointing to the person next to you and saying, I know they're worse than me, so it's okay. Actually, we need to be striving for holiness. Our walk with God should please our Father, and it shouldn't bring disgrace on our brothers and sisters of the faith. So how do we practically become more like our Father? Because it's all very well talking about it, but how does that happen? Well, firstly, we need to get to know our Father. You know, Simon takes each of our children uh, once a term. We did do it once half a term, but it got a bit tedious. So no, we do it once a term. Um, out on a daddy date, they go out and they have they go all the way to the George, very posh, that illustrious place in Halsham. And they get a drink and they can have a sundae or they can have cheesy chips. And they have this time together where they talk and they chat and Sai will talk to them and they'll tell Sai what's going on in their life. You know, it's a sacrifice for our time and it's a sacrifice for their time. We make the point of tonight we are going to take the children. Sai is going to take the kids out. We need to spend time with our Heavenly Father in the same way. We need to put time by to be in his word. We're told that everything we need for life and holiness is in this book. We need to read it. You know, a lot of people say, I just really struggle with finding the time to read the Bible. And I know there are periods of life where we are very busy or our time is quite stretched or you can't actually get any peace. Um, other people say, I really struggle because um, it doesn't go in. What I'm reading, it, it doesn't go in. I can read it and I can't tell you it. You know, before I had four children, I had a brain and it worked quite well. I could read my Bible and I could tell you what I'd read and which book I'd read. I could even give you the verse. So I was so good. Now I know it is somewhere in the Bible. And um, I have to look in the concordance thing at the back to find exactly where it is. That's a natural thing. And as we get older, apparently the same thing happens. So um, I just wanted to give some practical stuff that I've read recently to just really help. You know, even if you feel that what you're reading isn't going in, it is. And it will change the way that you live. So make that point of spending time with in your Bible, learning more about our Heavenly Father. This book is really good. It's uh, Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full. It's Gospel Meditations for Busy Mums. This mum is truthful. I like it because she doesn't lie, and so we like her. She says it's hard work and they drive you mad, but you can find God in it. That's a really good book. This book, um, these two books are books that during having little children or if you're in a very busy part of your life are really good. Um, they're written by people who know our Heavenly Father really well. And so what they write points you towards um, God. This one is by Oswald Chamber, My Utmost for His Highest. It's a page a day, something to read. It's only a page. It will take you literally two minutes. You can meditate on it during the day as you're going through your day. And this obviously will be brilliant. It's by Charles Spurgeon. And it's morning and evening. It's some of his most popular work just put into a tiny little bit. Look, look how small it is. It's even big writing. It's even big writing. So... Please spend time getting to know our Heavenly Father. We need to spend time in worship and prayer. We need to listen to our Father. What is he saying to you? When was the last time you sat down quietly and said, Lord, speak to me and waited to hear what your Heavenly Father has to say to you? 
We can also learn from our older siblings, spend time with more mature Christians who've walked with our Heavenly Father for longer. They know him better. They can tell you what um, he has said to them and how he has directed them in difficult times in their life. I love talking to people who've walked with, their, with uh, our Father for longer and longer because actually they t- say things which are just normal for them, which for me make me think, I don't think like that. Why do I not think like that? I need to think like that. And we need to spend time with the family of God. Secondly, we're called to relate to one another as God's family. Now, before I say this, I said to someone, I was really nervous about talking about this. I'm sure there are people in this room that I have offended unintentionally. I'm really sorry (laughs) before I say this. I come knowing that I need to learn a lot of this as well. But as a family of God, we need to relate to each other um, and be characterized by love, honor, unity, and faithfulness. You know, Paul's call to the early church was to be unified and to reflect God's glory and beauty by being a unified family together. In Ephesians 4, he urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner that's worthy of their calling, to walk with humility, gentleness, patience, and love, to be eager to maintain unity. You know, primarily, we're called to love one another. 1 John 4 Verses 7 to 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is the turning aside of God's anger for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do we love each other? Do you love people in this church? I'm not talking about the thing where actually naturally we're more likely to be friends with some people than other. So we're in the same stage of life or our, our sort of characters really click together and work well. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love. Do we love each other? You know, what is love? Well, you've got the, verse, the chapter 1 Corinthians 13, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of those characteristics of God as well as being characteristics of love. You know, in your own time with God, can I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 13 and whenever it says love, to put your name there and see which ones really come up to you as thinking, I am nothing like that. I don't treat people like that. I don't talk to people like that. I don't think about people like that. It's a real challenge and something we should regularly be doing to ask ourselves, are we becoming more like our Father in how we relate to each other? Jesus said, No greater love has anyone than this but to lay down your life for your friends. You know, Jesus endured the cross for my sake and for your sake because of his wonderful love. He came to earth. He was born as a baby. He grew up as a child. He went and died on the cross and lost everything on this earth. And he was broken from his father. Can you imagine what that was like? You can't even get your head around it, can you? The reality 
of what happened on the cross. In John 17, we read the amazing high priestly prayer, which if you've never read that before, it's a beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross and he knew what was going to happen. He prayed this prayer. In it, he said, may they all be one, talking about people who would come to know him, his family of God. May they be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Later on in that prayer, he says, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That was Jesus' prayer for his church, that we would love each other. The biblical example of the early church actually goes one step further than that. They loved parts of the church they hadn't even seen. In um, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul commends the Macedonian church for even out of their extreme poverty, and they would have been extremely poor, they gave to the offering of the churches to people they would never have seen and would never see until eternity. The Ephesus um, church's love for the saints was heard of by Paul. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if Christ Church Housem was heard of all across the world because of our love for the saints we've never seen, for our generosity and our faithfulness to the universal church family. It's a real challenge and it's really sacrificial because it will cost us as a church. You know, practically, what does love look like in the church? Well, it's uh, acts of service, being kind to each other, helping each other. You know, when we moved here, we moved into a house with three big dogs. We don't have dogs. The house had had dogs. We don't do dogs. Sorry, I know that's like 80% of the church offended. We don't do them. We don't do them. With three dogs and an alcoholic living in the house. So we knew the house would be pretty rough when we came down to it. So we left the kids with the grandparents and we promised them we would collect them. We did promise we would. Tempted not to, but we did. We did collect them. Um, and uh, we arrived at this grotty, disgusting house. And, you know, we arrived and uh, there was people from the church who'd never met us just arrived and cleaned our home for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. It was hours. And Jane scrubbed my porch. It was beautiful. It's never been scrubbed since. But I'm so grateful that you did it because that's the cleanest it's ever been. I'm so grateful. When David Brown painted our boys' bedroom so that when they arrived, they did not arrive to a purple room that was a bit stinky. They arrived to a white room that was a little bit stinky until we took the carpet up. It was amazing that the church here served us as soon as we arrived. We need to share our lives with each other. We're told to weep with those who weep. Be considerate of where someone's life is at that point. If you know they're struggling, don't start saying, well, I had a wonderful success in this area of my life and making it really difficult for them. Don't repay evil with evil. This is a completely different way of living to the world, isn't it? We don't hurt those who hurt us. We love those who hurt us. We need to pray for each other, to give each other encouraging words, to write cards to each other. You know, when someone writes me a nice card, I put it on my mantelpiece, and whenever I'm really feeling miserable, I read my, this little card and think, it's okay, somebody loves me, it's all right. And I put it back on the mantelpiece and look at it. Um, to pray for words of knowledge for each other, to encourage each other and build each other up, to speak well of each other. Romans 12 verse 10 says, outdo each other in showing honour. 
Honour means to prefer one another, to lift up other people while you put yourself at the bottom and make people higher than you. In Ephesians 4, Paul asks the church to be eager to maintain unity and peace. You know, this is an active verse. It implies effort, work. You're working against your flesh to maintain unity in the church. We choose unity and peace over our own pride, over what we would prefer. We choose unity. You know, we're all sinful. We're all being transformed, which means that I can be grumpy, snappy, unreasonable, unkind, difficult, awkward, just plain rude. Oh, Simon, he's married to me. But I hate to be the one to tell you, but so can you. So how do we deal with this as a church and keep unity, knowing that we're all fallen? Well, the Bible is super practical, um, which is great. It acknowledges that we are fallen, and it gives us guidelines of how to live. In 1 Timothy 5, we're told how to relate to each other. We're to honour people that are older than us, as people like our father, in a, in a right family relationship. I know sometimes our own families, like earthly families, are a little bit screwed up. But as a family should be, that we honour people who are older than us. Then we treat people who are in a similar stage to us as sisters and brothers. So I'm going to be really rude and give you a real challenge. If you are married in this church, when you talk to someone of the opposite sex, do you think of them as your brother or your sister in the faith? Or do you talk to them as if you could be in a nightclub or a pub? If you're not married and you're not dating someone and you're talking to them and they are of the opposite sex, do you talk to them like they are your brother or your sister? And actually, even further than that, do you think about them as if they are your brother or your sister? And you know, it really helps. It really, really helps keep your mind pure towards people within the church if you think, how would I want someone to think about my brother or my sister And if you think about your brother or sister, any horrible thoughts will go very quickly. Um, But it's a real challenge, isn't it? We do not relate to each other how the world relates to each other. We treat each other completely differently. That means that if you're single in this church, when you talk to someone, you do not hold people of the opposite sex on a string because you know they'd like to get married and that you can just pick them up and drop them down whenever you want to. That's not how we relate to each other. We treat each other with honour, respect, dignity. If you date someone, you treat them well. You hold their honour highly. We keep each other pure and holy as an offering to God. In Luke 11 verse 4, we're told um, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, the Lord's Prayer is our template for daily prayer don't hold on to little hurts or unintentional things that people have done in a rash moment. Be quick to forgive. If I feel hurt by what people here have said to me, I ask myself a list of questions. One, am I being reasonable? It's quite true that you might not be being. Two, for women, am I hormonal? Is this upsetting me this week and next week it wouldn't bother me at all? Three, is it my pride being offended? Four, am I tired? Five, are they tired? Six, am I burnt out? Seven, am I reflecting my issues on this person? Eight, am I choosing the weakest link in the chain to bully because I can't really get to the person I'd like to get to? 
Or number nine, am I annoyed with what this person has said because it has shown that I have sin in my own life and it's made me feel bad, so I'm going to be annoyed with them rather than myself and deal with the sin? You know, he who is love much, loves much. He who is forgiven much, forgives much. And I don't know about you, but God has forgiven me from things that I wouldn't even want to share with anyone. He has forgiven me. But what if it gets, goes a bit further than that and it's something that's very difficult to talk about or it's a repeated behaviour or it's a bad attitude you see again and again or you've got to work with each other, you've got to relate to each other all the time and there's stuff going on. Well, Jesus tells us what to do. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, it says, If your brother sins against you, and tell, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So you go to them and you speak, may I suggest, graciously, kindly, humbly, don't add extra things on, just the thing you're talking about, and you talk to them about it. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, or your sister, depending on who you're talking to. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Well, is Jesus saying, you know, take your best friend because they're going to agree with you. Even if you're wrong, they're going to say, yes, you're right. How dreadful. Poor you. You're my friend. You're definitely right. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it needs to be someone who is mature in the faith, someone who knows that person as well, I would suggest. In most settings, this would be asking your life group leaders to come with you or your youth leader to come with you as you talk to this person. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So if you can't resolve it, you've gone to them and they won't listen to what you're saying and you've been kind, not unkind, in what you've said. If you've taken someone with you and they still won't listen, then you can come and talk to the elders and then they can get involved with helping there be a restoration of relationship. You know, there's a practical guide to go with those verses is this. Because this actually should be used in situations where it cannot be resolved by just you forgiving and moving on. Can you forgive this person and love them without having to go to them face to face? Are you acting in love when you're talking to them or are you acting in revenge? Do you want a relationship with that person or do you want to put them in their place and make them feel bad? When you speak to that person, your desire should be to build a good, loving relationship with your brother or sister in the faith. You'll notice that Jesus says, speak. Um, sometimes it has to be via email or text or please not social media but you know um, I don't really do social media so maybe but speak to each other talk to each other speak face to face it's so much easier than um, all the other ways you know it so grieves us when we hear people say in the church we don't talk to that person or they, don't, they haven't talked to us since this thing happened and they still won't talk to me. They still don't even look at me when I'm here. Actually, let's not be a family like that. Let's be a family who love each other, who strive for unity, who forgive each other. Let's not have things that came from 10 years ago and you still haven't dealt with each other. Let's be people who are brave enough to have robust discussion in love with each other and to have a good relationship at the end of talking with each other. You know, the church is the hope of the world. It's a light to the world. 
Let's reflect our Father showing love, honour and faithfulness to each other. Jesus. Thanks, Anna. That's great. So finally, look at uh, uh, how the, there's always, in any family setting, there needs to be uh, dis- discipline. Just like um, in any normal family, if there's behaviour in that family that's detrimental to the individual or the family, then the parents in that setting uh, need to bring discipline. In Uganda, where I go and uh, where Dennis and Sheila have just been, but particularly in the part where uh, I go, they still have clan meetings where groups of families will come together and the elders of those clans will, will publicly call out people, uh, adults in that setting, who have brought dishonour and shame on the clan and they will be publicly disciplined in that setting. Likewise, God, out of love, disciplines his children. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, discipline can sometimes be viewed negatively, and that's largely because of our own experience of discipline, either uh, abuses that we've uh, seen or or had ourselves personally in the past, or people in authority uh, being overbearing and that sort of thing. And we have to be careful when we come to God that we don't transpose any negative and bad experiences that we've had onto God. God is a perfect Father. He is our heavenly Father, and He loves us. He He is um, He always does it for our good. He always does it out of love. He always does it to to build us up and to restore relationship as well. Even in cases, you know, serious cases, as Anna was reading in, uh, in Matthew 18, where people have to be put out of uh, membership because of because uh, uh, of persisting in in a sin. That's not just falling into sin, because we all fall into sin. We're all sinful, and we all uh, um, have, have weaknesses. But it's where we deliberately choose to persist in a way that goes against the Bible. As, a, um, uh, as Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 make clear, then we have to bring that discipline and put people out of a, a membership uh, for a season. But even the heart behind that is for restoration, is for protection of the church, and is for the person to reach repentance. Once there is repentance, as Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians 2, then reconciliation is quick to follow. You see, we serve a holy God. And one of the signs that we are genuinely his children, as Anna's been sharing, is that we are growing in holiness, that we are becoming like our Father. So it doesn't mean that anything can go. Yes, we all make mistakes. Yes, we are all weak in areas. But in love, the Lord disciplines us through trials, through tests, through setbacks, through disappointments. Now, I'm not saying any trial or test you get is because God's disciplining you, but he does use these means sometimes to, to discipline us. God is not harsh. He's not cruel. He's not vindictive. He's not trying to seek revenge. He's not trying to prove a point here or acting out of any insecurity. 
He himself is complete within himself. That's why I took the time to explain. Now, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's complete in himself. He has no need of anything else. It's us that need him, not the other way around. But out of love, he disciplines us because he wants the best for you. Sometimes when we're going through tough times and going through trials, actually, we need to bear in mind eternity as well because God is disciplining us with our eternal future in mind. Dr. Henry Cloud, in his excellent book, Boundaries with Kids, it constantly reinforces the point to parents that you always have to have the long-term aim in mind of raising responsible adults. So is what, you do, is what you're doing at the moment helping that process or hindering that process? Just you know, keep that thought in your mind with all your dealings with your kids. You've been born again into a family that's going to spend eternity together. God's discipline is with your eternal future in mind. So in the hard times and the good, my friends, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. And even when your path doesn't seem to be straight, you think, what on earth's going on here, Lord? Why am I going through this? Trust him because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants you to live your life playing your part in this wonderful family, his church. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is the family of God. Therefore, we should love, serve, and seek to build each other up, striving to maintain unity through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because we're the family of God together. And God has called us. We're going we're gonna to spend eternity together, folks. So uh, let's try and put these things in practice because God wants the best for us. I'm going to invite the band up to uh, uh, finish with a song. Um, uh, but before I hand over to them, just, just feel it's right to leave this challenge with you and then I'm going to pray for us. In fact, I'm going to invite Anna to come up and uh, uh, pray for us. But uh, the, if there's people here that you know you're, you're struggling with, then resolve in your heart this morning, God, I'm going to put this right. God, deal with me. Do those things that Anna was saying, first of all, Take that issue and go away and pray about it and say, God, is this me? Or am I being unreasonable? Go through that list of uh, thinking, okay, God. And then, and then say, okay, God, I'm not going to live like this. I, as far as depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with everybody here. And also, after this meeting, after we sing this song, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're, you know you're not part of the, the family of God at the moment, then please come and see me at the end. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you more about how you can enter into this wonderful family. I'm going to invite Anna up just to pray for us uh, because actually we need God's help in this. It's through his Holy Spirit that we've been born again and it's through his Holy Spirit that we can stay united. Uh, if, if you're able to, shall we stand? Mm. 
We also felt while I was praying uh, about this talk that those people here who your experience of family has been really terrible and very destructive on your life, we'd love to pray with you. You know, um, God is a loving and good father. And if you yourself have had a terrible earthly father and your experience of family has been a destructive one, then actually we'd love to pray with you that God would help you to see God as a good father who loves you. But let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the joy of being saved. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken us from darkness into light. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your gospel, which saves us and sets us free. Thank you that we're no longer slaves of sin, but actually we've become your children. What an amazing truth. Lord, I just pray for us as a family together. Would we love you with all of our hearts, with everything that we have? Would we love you? Lord Jesus, would we love each other as you have loved us? What a challenge and call upon our life, Lord, to love each other. Lord, help us to be people who want a family that pleases you, who want to have um, good relationship with everyone in the church. Lord, I pray that when people come into this place, that they would be struck by the love that we have for each other. Lord, help us to honour each other, to protect each other, to serve each other, to care for each other. Help us to lay down our lives for each other and to live, to cause your name to be glorified. Would your name be glorified through this family? Would we point people to Jesus in the way that we behave and relate to each other? And we pray this in your name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.